today on From Me to Ziggy. Fall Dog Bombs the Moon. Welcome to From Me to Ziggy, the podcast in which we discuss every David Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name's Thomas. My name is Travis. And we're joined today by West Anthony. West? It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. It's our pleasure. And we're talking about the song from 2004's reality called Fall Dog Bombs the Moon. I got that year right, right? Yeah, I think it's 2003. 2003. I think I always write that wrong. Yeah, the copyright date that I have on my copy here is uh, can, 2003. Yep. Yeah, absolutely right. I was just listening to it on Spotify. It'll give me the actual, the actual date here. Each of us has independently confirmed <laughs> that it's 2003. Check your sources three times at least. So yeah, track eight or nine or something on the, um, yeah. on the CD. Numbers don't make sense. Only letters. Exactly. Fall dog bombs the moon. And West, you were describing it earlier as uh, one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite songs uh, on Reality, which is one of my favorite Bowie albums. And like my my two favorite songs on the album are uh, Fall Dog Bombs the Moon and Looking for Water. I've been following Bowie, of course, for pretty much all my life, and. Uh, this album came after uh, Heathen, which was one of the most remarkable of all his albums, because the 90s, I found, were kind of largely a lackluster decade for David Bowie. Mm. You know, uh, the only album that I really loved through and through in the 1990s was Earthling. Uh, like Black Tie, White Noise, which reunited him with uh, Niall Rogers, who co-produced uh, Let's Dance. Uh, I thought that was a good album, but not a great album. Uh, then Outside, which reunited him with uh, Brian Eno. I thought that was also a very good album, but there was a couple of things in there that I thought were kind of spotty. And then uh, Hours from 1999, I think that was largely a, a kind of a forgettable album. I wasn't really crazy on that one at all. Earthling, I, I love very much. And then 2002, he comes up with Heathen, which reunites him with another guy from the prime Bowie days, uh, Tony Visconti who produced some of his, his greatest works. They hadn't worked together in 22 years. You know, the last album they did together was Scary Monsters and Super Creeps in 1980, which is one of the greatest Bowie albums ever. And then there was 22 years where they were not working together. Heathen reunited these two guys. And that album, I remember Heathen being so good, I honestly thought that it was like his farewell to the troops. I thought hmm. that, that it was like a grand summarizing statement of Bowie's artistic career, and then he was going to just stop. I really thought that was going to happen. And then came reality, which was great. So Almost immediately and, and, after. Yeah. I mean, reportedly, he went right back into the studio as soon as uh, Heathen was done and started working on this, uh, this album, on reality, which is just, uh, it's one of those things where his thoughts about the album, particularly as far as like the, the meaning behind the title, and then also I think that the lyrical content of the song that we're talking about today. It's one of those things that has just mysteriously become more and more relevant uh, as time has gone by, particularly in the here and now. And it's just one of those things that I always give Bowie a lot of credit for. There's like such a total mystery about him, how he was always ahead of so many curves. It's not even funny. It's yeah. spooky. Here's a, here's a quote that he said, something that he said about the title of the reality uh, album. He says, I feel that reality has become an abstract for so many people over the last 20 years. Things that they regarded as truths seem to have just melted away. And it's almost as if we're thinking post-philosophically now. There's nothing to rely on anymore. No knowledge, 
only interpretation of those facts that we seem to be inundated with on a daily basis. Knowledge seems to have been left behind, and there's a sense that we are adrift at sea. There's nothing more to hold on to, and of course, political circumstances just push that boat further out. Holy smokes! Is that <laughs> I don't know what is! Uh, yeah, that's interesting. His, his uh, remarks about knowledge. There's a song on Earthling where some of the lyrics are, I don't want knowledge, I want certainty. We're going to get right. into that much later. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what's more important, is not so much what's true as, as what you believe to be true. Yeah. And, and today, the at any other time, we're, we're seeing that playing itself out uh, in America. And it's painful, for me yeah. anyway. It's, it's painful to, to see. So, Fall Dog Bombs the Moon, going forward from that point, I, I find it to yeah. be a very <laughs> political song. And I think more often than not, as I get further into my adulthood, I've always found myself more drawn to political songs, to songs that are saying something about what we're living in. And it's funny because, again, this song was recorded and released in 2003. And again, I find that it is as relevant, if not more relevant, because it's a song that Bowie wrote about the abuses of power, about corporate power and military power. And there's only a few lyrics in the song. It's not lyrically dense, but again, it's stuff that I find really very relevant. You know, uh, like I'm goddamn rich. And exploding men. When I talk in the night, there's oil on my hands. You know, this is something that uh, I believe he was inspired by reading about Halliburton and Dick Cheney's whole operation that was going on there in the run-up to the uh, to the Iraq War. And again, it's easy to see that you know there was a lot of money propelling all of those events back then, and it's brought us to uh, to a lot of troubles today that we're we're still trying to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, more and more relevant each year like uh we try not to get too political in in on the show but i think with the song it's, it's pretty unavoidable it's it completely unavoidable um, yeah <laughs> i'm i'm sorry to have to drag you into the political realm if that's not what you if want you were show doing to be. i was gonna do it so <laughs> and bowie's already brought us there anyway with the subject it's unfortunate but uh, yeah it's just and again you know going back to the lyrics and this is one of my one of my favorite lines in any Bowie song. I mean, my all-time favorite line in any Bowie song is uh, now she's stupid in the street and she can't socialize from scary monsters and super creeps. Uh, it's just such a great line. But in this song, this is the line, there's always a moron, someone to hate. Uh, and again, I, right now, here and now, it's very easy to, to conjure up a person that that line could apply to. But there again, see, part of the, the meaning behind all these lyrics of Bowie's is that it's not just this guy. It's the power behind this guy. Mm. I think that's part of the thing that he's he's trying to get at. I think that's part of what he's trying to say. And again, it's every bit as relevant today as it was then. Because, you know, of course, you have a lot of people. Again, this is one of the things that's really bothering me going on today. You can cut all this out if you want to. But it's just <laughs> there are people who say, well, you know, Trump is bad and, and Trump is the problem. We've got to stop him. And that's true. I agree with that 100%. But then you have these other people are saying, no, it, Trump is not the problem. It's all of the stuff that that put him into office. That's the problem. The thing is, both sides are right. Those are both problems. But you have so many people who just only want to focus on one thing or the other thing, and they don't want to talk about the thing that they're not talking about at all. And it's a terrible mistake to just focus on one thing and not focus on the other thing. 
because it's like, let's say a guy doesn't like you. And so he throws you into a tiger cage. Well, yes, the guy who threw you into the cage, that's a problem that you're going to have to deal with. But also a tiger. <laughs> and this is just one of the things that I find really frustrating about the political discourse that's going on, even just within the left alone. And again, th this is part of the stuff that David Bowie is, I think that he's addressing in this song because there's power. And then there's also just, you know, a guy in a suit that you can just put out in front of everybody and he'll be the scapegoat. But meanwhile, the power underlying that guy is not being addressed. It's not being ignored. It's not even being seen. Mm -hmm. So that's all of this stuff that I, I interpret in the lyrics. It's going on in this Bowie song. And again, it's never lost its relevance since 2003. It's frightening. Yeah. And you're right. The, as, as long as the powers that be are present, there's always going to be another guy. There's always going to be another tiger. There's always going to be another moron. I don't think uh, Trump was anywhere near the front of Bowie's mind when he was writing these lyrics. But we had another moron at the, at the time, uh, or at least someone, you know, the sort of uh, someone to lay the, the blame on, someone, an easy target in the White House. Right. And even he was sort of like... He, he, he was. He was basically, he was the face of it, but... Yeah. I, I always looked at Bush and Cheney as like Pinky in the Brain, where it was like <laughs> basically Cheney being like, we're going to do the same thing we do every night. We're going to take over the world. And George W. is just like, narf, like, all right. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we're basically, we're just living now. And it's just a continuation yeah. of that whole. And that's, that's what this song gets to is this, yeah. there's always a moron. There's always, always somebody. And the, the brilliant thing about that lyric too, is that it can be read from either side. There's always, you know from our perspective, a moron, someone to hate, but also that's, that's the whole, that's the whole thing of, of like creating an enemy, like having a target at which, you know, we, uh, we direct our, whatever resources, uh, anger as a nation to drive policy and, and all of this stuff. This, this is what this is talking about. Right. And it's just distracting you from the real problem at hand. And so, you know, the, the more you focus on this other thing, then the thing that's right in front of you, the less you're going to focus on the thing behind that, which oftentimes is as important, if not more important to address. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I love this song. And then the other thing that was uh, really just shocking about this song is that because there, there are songs on reality that he took a while to come up with. There was one that he had been working on, like on and off for like a couple of years. But Fall Dog apparently was just thrown together in 30 minutes. Right. It's like, really? 30 minutes is all it takes to come up with this brilliant song? How dare you? How dare you make the rest of us feel so... <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we mentioned Cheney earlier. We can talk about the uh, story behind the title of the song. Apparently, it's sort of named in an assonant kind of wordplay way after the military contractor, Kellogg, Brown, and Root. So Kellogg, Brown, and Root becomes Fall Dog, Bombs, the Moon, just sort of in the vowels, basically, uh, which was a Halliburton subsidiary. Right. And it was, it was as, as David Bowie described it, it got the job of cleaning up Iraq. Yeah. And that it's, it's basically an ugly song sung by an ugly man about uh, corporate and military power. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating that, you know, he was really very few lyrics because like i said it's not like lyrically dense like some other songs there's just a, just a few swift strokes laid out in these lines 
And it really says a lot with very little, I find. Yeah, you know, sometimes I like to look at these lyrics and do sort of a close reading. He uses a technique in the uh, choruses that I think is is. I don't know if it's if clever is the right word, but it's it's effective anyway. It's he starts the next line with the last word of the line previous, which is a technique we described, I think, in the song uh, "Dirty Boys," also where he sort of sets up a progression from one line to the next, uh, so that it seems logical and inescapable. Uh, the fall dog is cruel and smart. Smart time breaks the heart, and then fall dog bombs the moon, but. There's not much there to analyze, but I, I like that sort of songwriting technique, whatever you might call it. Yeah, there's a, there's really a lot of artistry in Bowie that some of it is there's a lot of stuff on the surface, but then there's a lot more going on underneath that I think that's why so much of his music rewards closer uh, inspection and repeated playing because, yeah, <laughs> on the surface, you know, they, they sound great and you can dance to them and, and they're super awesome but then you know you can dig deeper and sometimes you know you can hear really great sounds in there that you've never heard before particularly in the era when he was working with tony visconti and and brian eno in the late 70s up to through 1980 and also you know lyrically there's because his lyrics quite often are never really 100 percent straightforward but there's meaning in there that can be discerned you know or at least interpreted if you kind of take the time to look at them and see uh, what you can come up with. Yeah. And like in this song, there are a lot of layers to some of the, the imagery that he uses, like just the idea of the, the moon, the bombing, the moon is supposedly a reference to the, um, the crescent and star symbol, which is popularly associated with Islam. I kind of, I chose to interpret it as almost an indictment of how just war hungry, that administration was at the time that they would literally just bomb the moon. They will bomb anything. <laughs> and they just were so hungry for conflict. I feel like that sums up that administration so well. Fall dog bombs the moon. They just, and actually it kind of, it describes the current one and just wanted to just blow everything up with not much regard for any logistics or anything, just destruction for the sake of destruction yeah. and to kind of, you know, feed your friends, basically. Yeah. See, and that's what's great. That's an equally valid interpretation, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it could be that the moon is, is yeah, a metaphor for the crescent moon, which would mean Islam, which you're, then you're talking about the Middle East. But yeah, it could also be a metaphor for just total wanton warhawk destruction for the sake of destruction. It could go either way. That That's, that's fine. I like both of those. Yeah. That's been my favorite part of this project, and it speaks to what you were saying earlier about digging deeper, is that it's, especially this song, on its surface, if you don't know, you know, especially if you weren't, I mean, we're old enough to, but if, like, if you're listening to this and you weren't old enough to really remember the lead up to the Iraq war, it sounds like kind of an abstract, kind of weird song, but then you dig deeper, and, and it's something that keeps happening every time we, we start looking at a song is, oh, I thought it was about this, but no, it is absolutely not about this. It's about so much more. Yeah. Sorry, I lost track of where I was going with that. <laughs> Sorry. And again, you know, even if you choose not to dig deeper lyrically, it just stands up on its own as a really great yeah. song. It's got a fantastic groove. The instrumentation is great and the production is great. Again, you know, Tony Visconti and David Bowie are really just like an unbeatable team. And then also, you know, here's a little bit of trivia. Of course, this uh, album 
It was recorded at uh, a studio in New York City called Looking Glass Studios, which was owned by Philip Glass. I think it still is owned by Philip Glass. But um, I don't know how familiar you are with Philip Glass's work, but he has written two symphonies based on David Bowie albums. There was a, first there was the, the Low Symphony, I believe, in 1993. And then like a, a year or two later, there was a, a Heroes Symphony. And in both of those symphonies, they were based on just uh, so several of the songs on those two albums. And uh, it, it's it's some of Philip Glass's best work. He's my favorite living composer. And so uh, when I found out that there was a, a whole symphony that was based on a David Bowie album, my head just blew up. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Philip Glass. He's also my favorite living composer, maybe of all, of all composers, living and dead. But uh, I actually was introduced to David Bowie by listening to Philip Glass first. Like I heard the Heroes Symphony and then went to Heroes to hear what that was like. Wow, that is cool. I, yeah, I mean, because David Bowie has been, you know, just like such a constant thing in my life. Of course, the David Bowie albums came first for me. But that's, that's fascinating to think that, yeah, somebody else was, would have been listening to Philip Glass and gotten introduced to David Bowie through him. That's remarkable. I'm actually, uh, this, as a sideline, we'll probably cut this out, but I'm going to be on um, the Watchmen Minute. I've been doing my research. I've got my copy of Koyanis Katsi because I'm going to be, I asked to be on it specifically because it's got the moments, uh, it's got these moments with Philip Glass music from Koyanis Katsi. Yeah. And I really wanted to talk about that instead of starting the Koyanis Katsi Minute, which I might still do. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely something that I'll be covering on my own show one of these days, just the whole Katsi trilogy. I, I think next year, now that I think of it, I'm trying to, I have every episode scheduled out through 2019. And yeah, I believe the Katsi trilogy is actually on the boards for 2019. Nice. Can we leave that in or should we cut, should we, is that uh, privileged knowledge? I, I have no problem with leaving it in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no, cut the thing promoting my thing out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's the, uh, that's the thing I'm the very worst at is promoting what you're doing. Or otherwise, just keeping keeping tight lipped about it. I don't think there's necessarily a bad time to do it. Uh, there's, I think there's a bad number of times to do it. You know, if you're like perpetually <laughs> bringing it up, that's that's when it can get tedious. But if you have something going on and you bring it up once, it's like, well, yeah, if people uh, appreciate your, your the work you're doing. Well, they want to know if you're, there's other places where they can hear you. Man, that would make such a good segue to the end of the episode, but. First, I wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to say about this song in particular. Uh, no, I, I pretty much covered everything. Like I said, it's just, it's such a fantastic song. I don't think a month goes by that I'm not listening to it. Seriously. I, I, I love it that much. And, and there's a lot of other Bowie songs that I love too. Uh, but this one, I, I think because of what's been going on in this country since 2003 and continuing to this day, I think that's why I keep returning to Fall Dog Bombs the Moon. Because it's just never lost its relevance. And it's kind of heartbreaking, but it's never gone away. It's still with us, and it's, it seems like there's no sign of stopping all of the stuff that brought this song out of him. So I keep coming back to it. And, and I always come back to the album because, as I say, it's, I think it's a fantastic album. This, this is the one where he went into retirement. <laughs> For, for at least, at least for yeah. 10 years. Because like I said, I thought with Heathen, he was just going to, that was like, you know, sayonara. And then he was going to just ride off into the sunset. And then all of a sudden, yoink, a year later comes reality. And then he was just absent for 10 years. That's when we all thought he had retired. And then even that mm -hmm. turned out to not be a retirement because then he came back and then he died. So that kind of 
ruined everything for me. <laughs> it's, I, I still wish that he was with us. Was, I mean, it was so clear from just those last couple of albums, you know, the next day and black star that he had not lost none of his creativity. He still had plenty of things to say. And I think if he was still with us right now, there would still be Bowie records coming out and they, we would still be marveling over them and he would still have amazing things to say. And unfortunately all of that un has been taken away from us. But luckily we have these 25, I believe 25 studio albums that he left us with. And those are never going to go away. As long as there are humans walking this earth and we have a device to plug into something else, we can listen to them and enjoy them and appreciate them. Well said. Yeah. yeah. And it's inspired so many projects like this one. And, uh, there, there are many other ways to, to appreciate Bowie. There's, uh, the David Bowie is exhibit is wrapping up its world tour, uh, that's been going on for years. I'm so pleased that it's not coming to Los Angeles. I thought I, yeah. I was so certain that it was going to, because it's like, like the Stanley Kubrick exhibit, which started out in England or somewhere else in Europe, I think. Uh, but and then eventually it came to New York and then eventually it came to Los Angeles. Uh, I really hoped and prayed that that was going to happen with the David Bowie thing. And it seems like it's no, it's just going to stop in Brooklyn. And then that's the end of it. Yeah. I'm so I'm surprised it's, it's ending there. Yeah. I, I guess that wraps it up for uh, fall dog bombs, the moon. Um, West, do you want to tell the folks listening, the three or so people listening, uh, where they can reach, find you online? Well, uh, you can always listen to my podcast, uh, Musical Notation. It's a uh, film music podcast. comes out uh, every week on Tuesdays. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. West Anthony. I'm not a real doctor. And you can follow my shows on uh, 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 Twitter at uh, NotationPod. So, and then I also have uh, a couple of other guest appearances coming up. I was uh, a guest on the recent episode of the podcast Rock Solid. And then I have an appearance coming up on Battleship Retention uh, in about a, you know, later in the year. And this... Uh, some other stuff coming up that uh, hopefully I'll be able to share with everybody very soon. Great. And you can find From Me to Ziggy on Twitter and on Facebook at From Me to Ziggy on both of those services. Uh, from Me to Ziggy .com and subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, uh, whatever. Is, if Stitcher is still a thing. I don't know. It's been it years is. since I've done this. <laughs> I feel like I hear the kids talk about it. <laughs> right. Um, until, uh, until next time, uh, I'm Thomas. And I'm Travis. Oh my goodness, we didn't rate the song. We, oh, oh, we always do that. Oh, we always rate the song. Yeah, yeah, between one and five. Out of, um, I don't know, how about dates? Dates are delicious. Sure. Um, I, I like the song quite a lot, uh, and I like reality quite a lot. So all the songs from reality get kind of a bump for me. Um, although I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite song. It's, a great, it's got a great tone to it and uh, great layers of depth, but uh, I'd probably give it about four dates and then I'm full. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. So I'd, I'd go four dates. I'll go four and a half. Yeah, I think it means a little bit more to me. But uh, yeah, awesome. Thanks again, West, for uh, coming on the show. Well, thank you. That was this was a lot of fun. Okay, well, until uh, until next time, we're gonna be talking about Fame. I think is the next song on our roster. That should be interesting. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Say it's true. They got a message for.